Matt, good morning. How are you doing today? I'm fine, Errol. How are you? Fantastic. We got to let listeners know the name of the book, The Life We Chose. Let me tell you, dude, I, I feel like this is a backstage pass, a front row seat. It's almost like you're going, hey, I know a friend that knows a friend, and I'm going to share a story with you. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> what is our fascination with the family? Because, I mean, even today, I mean, we're, we're t- they have TV shows about the grandkids of the family. Yeah, so... I mean, it's you're getting a peek into a world that you never see, right? Uh, particularly, you know, from the past. You know, we've all seen stories and heard rumors and whatnot. You know, but now you've got a guy like Billy Delia, who was the actual head of the Buffalino crime family beginning in 1994, but before that, he had been the protege and so-called son of Russell Buffalino, who had, you know, arguably been the most important and influential organized crime figure of the 20th century. And Billy was with him. He was at his hip for almost all of those 28 years. Even when Russell was in prison during the 1980s, Billy went to go visit him uh, out in Leavenworth um, in Kansas. So he spent, he, he, there was no one closer to Russell. So when Billy was arrested in 2006 on a money laundering charge, every law enforcement agency in the country wanted to talk to him. The New York City Terrorism Task Force, yep. Uh, Homeland Security, Secret Service, and the FBI. You know, the FBI wanted to talk to Billy about Hoffa because Russell had, all, had long been suspected of having a role in Hoffa's murder. And Billy wouldn't speak to anyone. He basically just kept his mouth shut. So it wasn't until 2020 when I got an email out of the blue asking if I wanted to speak to Billy. And I said, sure. Um, that's when Billy started to talk. And, you know, he just goes through 50 years of history that. And, you know, we just go through one name after another, after another, after another, and you just see the breadth and the power of organized crime. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall the moment that you walked in and had that first that first sentence shared, because it's like, what do you do? You walk in there and say, so what do you want from me? What 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 can I do for you? So I had I had covered Billy um, in the early 2000s when he had gotten arrested. So when I first, I, when I actually first met him, we, we set up a meeting in a public place in a restaurant in a private room. And, you know, he's six foot four. He's in his mid seventies. He's a fearsome character. He's a fearsome individual. Um, and even though he wanted to talk to me, it really took about three, four months for him to get going. It was very difficult getting, prying any information out of him. You know, he still had that mob mentality. Um, but it, you know, it, he began to trust me, though, and it slowly melted away. And, you know, within five, six months, it uh, we just kept, we were just rolling. And we went from one place to another place to another place. And it was just, it was incredible. You know, he was, um, he's an interesting guy in that he's, he could be very, very charming. Um, he's a good businessman. Um, he could probably have been successful in any other industry had he chosen it he wasn't born into the mob like a lot of these guys are he basically fell into it and came to love russell buffalino which at its core that's what this story is it's a father and son story yeah it's about how, how delia ended up meeting russell and how he ended up staying with him for the next 30 years i'm so glad that you talk about the growing period uh, of him and the reason why is because I, I was writing about it today that you have these great leaders inside their families but they had to be followers first they had to learn from those before them in order to be the leaders that they became 
Absolutely. I mean, he would never have been the leader that he was with, you know, if, if he had not been with Russell, yeah. you know, Russell taught him everything. I mean, there are scenes in the book early on where he meets Russell and he's his driver. You know, he had been a participant, so to speak, later in, in his life with Russell, but early on, he was just an observer. And, you know, you see Russell basically teaching him the finer points of being a mob guy, you know, how to make money. I once said to Billy, so how much did Russell pay you? Like, I'm thinking he gets a weekly check or something because <laughs> I didn't get paid. No, it wasn't like that. He goes, he taught me. He taught me how to make money. Yeah. You know, how to make money on jewelry. You know, they used to get stolen jewelry in New York and they'd get it. And, you know, you have guys go steal it. They bring it to Midtown Manhattan, give it to Russell and Russell gives them the billy and they'd, go, and they'd sell it. You know, how they sold what were called overcuts or, you know, Russell had dress factories in Pennsylvania. You know, how they basically, you know, they did one so-called score after another. That's how they made money. And then they graduated into legitimate businesses. So it was an education. Basically, it was an education in crime that he got. Um, but with that education came, you know, he, an opening into a world that Billy never, ever dreamed he'd ever, he'd ever see, which included business leaders, entertainment icons, um, and of course, you know, the most powerful organized crime figures. Yeah. The book we're talking about is The Life We Chose. What's really interesting about the way that you unveil the authenticity of this book is the fact that we were so blindsided in the 80s and 90s by John Gotti. I mean, that's what everybody was talking about. John Gotti, John Gotti. And now you introduce us to Russell and, 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 and it's like, wow, I, I had no idea. We have no idea basically because, and it's the same thing today, it's who the media focuses on. Yep. I mean, how is anyone going to know anything about these guys, you know, unless they learn from it, from either radio or television, you know, I mean, today there was so many different, you know, you got streaming networks and whatnot, but that's what you got it. So that's what you got. So in New York and across the country, the news was about John Gotti, yep. you know, um, the Dapper Durham, um, where Russell, but Russell's genius had always been to stay behind the scenes. So the fact that he was based in Pennsylvania, in Northeast Pennsylvania, even though he spent most of his time in New York City, um, you know, even though law enforcement knew he was very powerful, he tended to kind of stay away from him um, and focus on the guys that would get the headlines. So, you know, that's, that's how guys like Russell and Billy were able to stay under the radar. So many years. Was it still a big competition between New York and Chicago? Now let's throw in some Las Vegas because well, you know it seems like that went away in the in the sixties and seventies. But I just have this gut feeling that it's now stretching down even into the Carolinas these days with the way that people are traveling. So you know, organized crime or the, the Italian mafia isn't what it used to be. Not even close. Yeah. Because of, because of the um, efforts of law enforcement since the nineteen eighties and the RICO Act and whatnot. Um, but it's still there. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, cigarettes and whatnot, uh, I'm sure they're still involved in, um, if there's a way to make money, there are always guys that are going to try and do it under the table. Um, what they don't have anymore is guys like Russell who had great influence because of his connections, let's say to the Teamsters union, you know, he had been so close to Jimmy Hoffa. And Russell had placed his cousin, William, with Hoffer in the 1940s, and William became the general counsel. So now Russell has a direct conduit to the Teamsters. So he's also handling out loans through their central states pension fund, which made him even that much more powerful. So that kind of power, uh, I'm sure, is a thing of the past. 
Um, but you'll never, you'll always see organized crime um, at some level. There's going to be a lot of readers that are going to they're going to take note of the headlines that have been written about you and, and and about the book about you know the Jimmy Hoffa you've unveiled new things here they're going to come to this book looking for the Jimmy Hoffa but what they're going to get is a real honest to God story I mean you pour yourself into these paragraphs yeah um, so you know we kind of you know like I said spent a lot of time talking to Billy and then at the end of the day I probably used maybe fifteen percent of what he told me because the idea was to tell a story. I didn't want to do one, you know, one fact after another fact after another fact. I wanted to tell a story. I wanted to tell a story that was, you know, um, not just complex and not just, you know, didn't have to not just having that wow factor, but also was emotional. And I think, you know, it succeeded in that you can see the relationship budding between Buffalino and Billy, even though they're members of organized crime. Um, you can see they had real deep affection for each other. Um, and I think that's the beauty of the book is the relationship between the two of them. And then you've got all this other stuff going on around them over the course of you know 30 years and then another 20 after uh, Russell dies. So, um, you know, that to me was the, you know, that to me, frankly, is why I wanted to do this book after talking to Billy, um, you know, given I was able to tell this complex, nuanced story. The Kennedy brothers. And Russell, wow. I did not know that, that that this was even a possibility until I found it on your pages. Yeah, so Russell, again, Russell was, you know, um, you know, I said to Billy, was Russell ever on the commission? He said, no, Russell was above the commission. And I went, wow, okay. And, you know, you could see, you know, Russell, Russell was in Cuba. Oh, you know, organized right, right, right. He had casinos in Cuba, and, they all, and he left behind a million dollars when he got chased out of there. And so the CIA learned about that and ultimately recruited Russell in these so-called CIA mafia plots. And they recruited Russell to help with their efforts to kill Castro, as well as the Bay of Pigs invasion. And they were furious. They thought that the Kennedys were going to help them uh, recover their casinos in Cuba. And after the Bay of Pigs, that didn't happen. Before that, there had been a lot of hatred between Buffalino and Bobby Kennedy Mm -hmm. uh, because of Bob's aggressive position, aggressive questioning during the rackets hearings of the late 1950s. They hated each other. And so, you know, there have been a lot of innuendo and rumor about, you know, obviously the mob's participation and the deaths of the Kennedy brothers. I will tell you one story from the book, and it occurs much later in 1981. And that is when Russell's gonna is about to go to prison and they're trying to get a pardon for him. And they end up sending Muhammad Ali and Angelo Dundee to Washington to meet Ted Kennedy to plead for a pardon for Russell. Now, Ted Kennedy has no idea who they're there for, but when he finds out it's Russell Buffalino, he throws them both out of his office mm. and says, never do anything for a Buffalino. So that shows you the depth of the hatred between, between Buffalino and... See, I've, I've always read the stories that the Gambinos were such a part of it. I mean, once again, this goes to the media, doesn't it? I mean, they, the media was writing about the Gambinos, and, and then now I'm learning through this book that, no, this this goes in a completely different direction than what we've, we've been taught through the media. Yeah, so these, I mean, Carlo Gambino was a very important figure. I mean, I, I can't deny that. He was. Carlo Marcello was a very important mm -hmm. figure. Santa Traficant was a very important figure. Um, but so was Russell Buffalino. Those guys got the media attention. Russell didn't. Mm -hmm. And that's why people, even today, are going, wait, how did this happen? Who is this guy? 
And so when you read the book, and there's the, you know, it's also the beauty of this story, you're writing about two people, two relatively unknown people, and you're reading, and for many, they're reading about them for the first time, and they're probably going, wow. Wow. That inspires me that Russell wanted to be that guy that didn't want to be in the media because it's so many times people, you know, it's, it's like Facebook. Everybody wants to be liked. Well, it, it, does, it wasn't about that. It was, it was about running his businesses. And I find that to be very inspiring that he was that focused. Yeah. He always said to Billy, do things quietly, you know, do not dress flashy. Don't get, you know, we did all of these interviews in for well over a year and a half in the old home that Russell Bufflino lived in. When he died in 94, his wife died in 2006. She left the house to Billy's son, who they named Russell. And so we had to, and it's, you know, it's it's a ranch home. It's nice, but it's not what you'd expect a mob boss to own. You know, it's not a Tony Soprano house. And that's what, you know, and that's that was the lesson that Russell gave to Billy and Billy, had lived, lived, and still to this day lives in a very quiet street in Northeast Pennsylvania. And, you know, he had wanted to move to a much bigger house. And then he thought about it and said, no, you know, and he stayed where he is. And so you would never, ever, ever think that this was the home to a mafia done. Wow. But that was the important lesson that Russell Buffalino had drilled into him. I was shocked to see Michael Jackson's name brought up in this book. So that's a great story in that, um, Donald Trump wanted Jackson to play uh, his casino in Atlantic City in 1988, and Jackson's manager was Frank DeLeo. And DeLeo, people would know him from the movie Goodfellas. He played the cab stand owner, Tookie. Mm-hmm. Um, he was really a music executive. Um, but DeLeo said no. So what Trump does is he had mob connections himself, and he actually knew Billy DeLeo, as I write in the book. Um, but he goes, he reaches out to two mob guys on the West Coast. And they try to strong arm Leah, and they and they tell him that Jackson's going to play the casino because Trump's going to give them a million dollars to do this. And so Leah reaches out um, to friends in the East Coast, and they bring Billy in. And there's this big meeting in New York during the Grammys in 1988, and Billy's there. And when these two mob guys show up, they recognize Billy, and they knew that you know the gig was up. And they beg Billy to let this happen. They say they'll share half the Trump money, and Billy says no. They leave. D'Elia is thrilled, but uh, Frank D'Elia, the manager, is thrilled. But Billy D'Elia tells him, "Nope, this isn't over yet. I'm now your partner." <laughs> so now Michael, J- so he's now Michael Jackson's co-manager, and he ends up touring um, with Jackson that summer during the Bad Tour. And he actually spends a lot of time with Michael, and that's in the book. A lot of these conversations that have taken place with Michael and. Billy's dislike for Michael's father and how he met the rest of the family. So it's really fascinating. But to see how he came about to be, you know, the co-manager of you know, one of the great music icons uh, ever, ever yeah. um, is a really fascinating story. Wow. The book we're talking about is The Life We Chose. Labor, political corruption, money laundering, murder. I mean, this sounds like today. And are, are we really staring down the eyes of a new Teflon Don? And and I hope that hopefully that didn't cross any lines by bringing that up. No, in terms of what, Billy? No, in terms of uh, you, you mentioned Donald Trump. And, you know, because I. I've, oh, I, Trump. I, oh, I'm sorry. I've, I've always felt that, you know, this, this he's the new Teflon Don. You know, it's funny because a couple of there have been some stories about the book that have broken this weekend about Trump and being associated with Billy. 
um, in the 80s and 1990s, you know, they met when when Billy was the head of the Buffalino family. He spent a lot of time in Atlantic City and he met with Trump. Um, he had known him and he met with him a couple of times and they talked over business deals. One was to do phone cards that they had at the time. And another one was timeshare deal where Billy, you know, when you do timeshare uh, meetings, you give away gifts to people that come and Trump wanted one of the gifts to be his book, The Art of the Deal. Mm -hmm. And Billy would have had to buy like five, 10,000 copies of the book, which for Trump would have rocketed his book up the bestseller charts. So <laughs> Billy said no to both. He didn't want to spend the money. <laughs> but the fact that, you know, he would actually meet with the head of a major crime family in person and demand cash under the table, you know, um, I mean, it's kind of reckless, I think. Um, but it gives you great insight into someone like Donald Trump, who likes to do things on his own. So, um, but I, I'm not sure if, you know, we're so polarized today, you got half the country's going to ignore it. And you got the other half of the country that might jump all over it. <laughs> but you know, I'm not, I'm, seriously, I'm not sure what kind of legs it's going to have. And you could be right. I mean, you know, I know people that have read it already that are Trump fans and they go, okay, so what? They owe me. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you know, I don't have an opinion on it one way or the other. I'm trying, I want to, you know, I'm a longtime journalist and I'm an independent. So, um, but, you know, it's just fascinating to see people that are, you know, big time Trump fans and it just means nothing to them that he had meetings or knew the head of a organized crime family. Um, I've, I've been educated by Hollywood as well as the media. Um, at any time as this journalist that you are, and, and you're so great at it, were you ever accused of being a wise guy? How do I know you're not a wise guy, that you're not going to take this information and give it to somebody else? Oh, no, I was, no, I did. I was once accused of being a, a, a spy, though, for <laughs> law enforcement. When I did my, uh, you know, I did the quiet down in, in 2013 about Buffalino, um, you know, I was sued by an inmate in prison who claimed I was a tool of the government. Wow. So I don't know. No, I wasn't. I, yeah, I wasn't. No, I've never been. You know, I've never been. I'm not. A, I'm not a mob writer. I just happened to have. You know, I did book deconstructing Sammy in 2008, which unfortunately for Sammy, he did a lot of business with the mob. Yeah. Um, and it had a great effect on his life. You know, I ended up covering Billy Delia in the early 2000s, which led to my 2013 book. The Quiet Darn, but in doing that book, I didn't really have a great source. It was all documents and whatnot. Um, I have the ultimate source now. So I had no plans, no desire to do another mob book until Billy reached out to me and I knew what that meant. I knew he had never spoken to anyone and I knew he was going to unlock a lot, many, many secrets. And I just couldn't pass it up. And, you know, I'm glad I didn't. As a journalist, how do you face the fear factor? I mean, I mean, we all have confidence that we can go in and grab a, a great conversation, but we still have that that element of fear somewhere inside of us. I wasn't, you know, when they first called, when they first emailed me, and I went to meet Billy. Not we met at a restaurant first, but then when I went to the Buffalino house, you know, for a few weeks, I kept looking behind me. <laughs> I still, I still couldn't wrap it around my head that Billy wanted to talk. I'm thinking to myself, maybe. There, he's upset with something I wrote oh, in the quiet time. So, you know, I would give my wife, I would tell my wife when I arrived, um, hey, I'm here now, you know. So, I mean, it happened for the first couple of weeks. After that, listen, you just, you know, I mean, any reporter, 
would do this. You just go and you follow the story and you write about it yeah. um, because that's what you do. Wow. The name of the book, The Life We Chose. Man, Matt, you got to come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, you be brilliant today, okay, sir? You too.